Hello and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. It's been a while. I hope that you have had a really enjoyable month of August. Uh, it's been wonderful for me and the Freeman family. We've had some great uh, times enjoying summer weather, spending quality time together and with, and with friends. And uh, we have some great, exciting news here on Relatable. We have several new episodes to take us through the end of the year. And first up, we're going to talk with Eileen Smith, who is the founder of Spokesmith. In her business, she helps business executives, policy experts, and rising professionals deliver their message in daily and extraordinary events. During our discussion, we have the benefit of hearing about two careers with Eileen. She shares how she navigated an exciting career in the State Department, and she talks about her expertise in public speaking. We learn about her work around the world, and we learn several tips on both public speaking and how to project confidence. Enjoy this episode. Eileen, I think we'll get started. Thank you again for joining me on Relatable. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, as we talked before, I'm super excited about us talking together because I feel like we're kindred spirits and have a lot in common and uh, a lot that we're doing both professionally and maybe even personally to, to strengthen uh, the world of soft skills, and we'll talk more about that in a bit, but I'm really grateful to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank you, Teresa. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really excited to get to know you. I feel like we can start a club of awesome women entrepreneurs <laughs> making the world a better place. I totally agree. I love that. Um, so Eileen, maybe we'll start with you talking a little bit about what you're currently doing these days. You've had this fascinating career uh, with the State Department and I think Foreign Affairs or something like that. So mm -hmm. I, I definitely want to chat with you about that. But talk to me now. You just mentioned um, being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur. So tell me about that. And sure. I have been owning my own business as a public speaking coach for about three years now. Before that, I was at the State Department for 24 years between State Department and U.S. Agency for International Development. Through that, I have spoken in venues all around the world. I've spoken to advocacy groups and international organizations. I've addressed members of Congress and the press. But more importantly, in terms of this career, yeah. when I was senior advisor to the Deputy Secretary of State, I coached her for speeches. At first, I don't even remember how we started. First, it was speeches I had worked on. Then she was calling me in for all of her speeches at the State Department, the United Nations, and the White House. This was her idea. She said, you know, you could do this professionally. At the time, I didn't give that any more thought. I was right. fully engaged in my State Department career. But when I started to think about what to do after, I realized I've been doing this my whole life. Mm. I remember coaching my college roommate for interviews. Going into business, I didn't want to rely just on my natural instincts. I wanted to have an intellectual background. So I studied public speaking, executive presence, and body language. Mm -hmm. Because these are skills that can improve the success of organization's mission and increase the trajectory of every person's career right now i am coaching it's it matters at every single level of a person's engagement throughout work right i'm coaching business executives policy experts and rising professionals to deliver their message in all kinds of venues and that's the one thing about coaching 
that I think is so important. And particularly when you talk about speaking and presentation skills, I'm so happy to hear that you're out in the world doing this because I feel like so many people don't spend time developing and cultivating the skill. And it's one of the skills that I could easily point to that differentiates professionals from from be going kind of good to great, right? And you can be really good at what you do and you can be a technical expert and you can have all of the knowledge in the world. But if you can't articulate that and you can't effectively communicate it, it's a deal breaker. And so I think it's also something that I would consider to be a leadership skill in that, you know, I take presenting all the way to facilitating a meeting and being able mm-hmm. to do that Absolutely. appropriately and functionally. So, you know, the fact that um, you're out there and, and, you know, we both do this, but I think it's so important and it's so critical for people in their success. And, and what's interesting to me is there's in college, there's public speaking courses, kids in high schools are being asked to present in front of their class. Certainly in the workplace, you're being asked to present. And yet no one's really, even in the public speaking classes, what they're covering isn't really what's required to be a good speaker. And so you had talked about body language, you had talked about executive presence, you had mm-hmm. talked about yeah. some of the key ingredients. So maybe just let's talk for just a minute about that. Like what, in terms of your advice for those that are, are about to give that speech, right, or they're about to get in front of people and need to present mm-hmm. information, what are some of the tips that you talk about or what are some things that people can do now that can help them? Sure. Well, you're exactly right that it's every engagement. It's not just when you're standing up to make a speech. It's every engagement is an opportunity. And you make an excellent point. I gave a training for an organization very recently covering all kinds of presentation skills. And I said, this is a speech, a media interview, a presentation, your staff meeting. And then I was talking with my client yesterday to go over the results of the survey, which it went over very well, but she said, but then the owner of the business went into a meeting for this woman to give a presentation and she wasn't prepared and she was looking on her phone. So she took the training, but it didn't click that it's every engagement. Right. Not just when you get some alarm bell, oh, this is a speech, but people need to project that executive presence, that leadership presence all the time at work. I think that's right. And I, it's interesting. I think I told you the story, but I was recently on a call and it was we're still Zoom. I mean, I know some of us are getting back into the workplace, which in person, it's even more so it's really regardless of what medium you're using. This woman was being introduced for the first time. And it was a big call. There was probably, I don't know, 80 to 100 people on this call. But it was mm-hmm. the first time she was getting exposure. And it was a biweekly meeting. So it wasn't a big opportunity to present. Yet she was presenting. And it was the first time. And within, I don't know, three minutes, two minutes, the amount of ums that were coming out of this woman's mouth, you know, you start counting them. People, it's right. like it becomes a game. Mm. And then people are pinging me and, you know, there's now this, it's just distraction upon distraction because now not only are you not listening to the content, now you're even, you know, you've, you're, you've completely disengaged. And so mm-hmm. what seems like a throwaway opportunity or something that is not, you know, and, and I think there's a balance between, it's not like every single time you're on and you have to be rigid and it's this performance. I think it's more about recognizing that every time you have a moment, it's a moment that you can use to better your brand or that you can use to take you kind of that next step further versus it being casual and, you know, not preparing as well. Right. I think it's a mindset. Would you agree with that? Yes. You make an excellent point. We're all human and we can't all be on every moment. And when you're with your regular work colleagues, I still recommend some, but you're right. It's to recognize what are those moments. Right. And if this woman is being introduced for the first time in front of 80 to 100 people, that was a time. 
I recommend preparation. What are you going to say? And it's this leadership presence Mm -hmm. of talking at the big picture level first. Talk about your big goals for the organization before getting into your to-do list for the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That helps to show that you are rising above and you are someone who's going places. Mm -hmm. I recommend people tailor their message to the audience. What does this audience need to hear on this topic at this time? Right, right. And then practice. If the colleague you're talking about had given it even one round through on her own, she probably would have eliminated a lot of those ums, which were really an announcement that I'm thinking. Right. I'm trying to figure out what to say right now. And the um is the vocal expression of that. Mm -hmm. I tell people practice, 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 stand up and say it out loud. Agree. It makes an enormous difference. The standing just makes it more real. And by saying it out loud, you will immediately find ways to say things smarter and shorter than by just doing it silently in your head. Amen. (laughs) The the practice is so critical. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more. It's so interesting. So my husband is um, more of an introvert. And so yet he's a phenomenal presenter. And Mm -hmm. I remember when we were first dating, we were first together, he would be presenting in a meeting or, or big or small. And the night before he would be up pacing and practicing. And I'm, I'm much more of a, I can get up and talk pretty easily. And so especially earlier in my career, I would wing it. I'm like, I can get Uh up and wing this, right? I got this. I got this. Like I'm comfortable in front of people. I can do that. And I remember thinking as he was pacing the basement and, you know, reading his notes and saying it all out loud, I was like, that just seems like overkill to me. Like you're going to, you know, you're not really being in the moment. And and he, his point was when I do this, I can be in the moment because I'm not so concerned about the content. And so, you know, we've learned a lot from from each other over the years. I think he's relaxed a little bit and, and can be more himself. And I've learned mm-hmm. that preparation piece even when you're comfortable preparing, saying the words out loud to your point, there's something about actually the thoughts coming out of your mouth versus just staying in your head. Something happens. And if you yeah. never, if you haven't heard yourself say it before, you're going to have those hiccups or you're going to have a lot of ums or it's not going to feel comfortable. That's right. And it's the preparation and the practice that leads us to be able to project confidence. Right, for sure. That's what gives people the knowledge that you are someone who is a leader you're someone who is going places right for sure so it's interesting you talked about the fact that this wasn't even something that you thought was be a profession for you or that it's something that came later and i'm curious Mm -hmm. about uh people that listen to this podcast you know we think we have multi-generational hopefully in terms of our audience and some of those are people that are just starting out. And so you've had this tenured career in the government. Tell me just a little bit about how you got to that role, you maybe your path to that role. And was that something you always knew you wanted to pursue a life in service? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, to go in the question of did I always know in high school, I wanted to be an actress. Ah, there we <laughs> it go. Was, it was somewhere in my senior year of high school that I switched over to okay. wanting to do international work. And it was an amazing time. My freshman year of college at Emory University, the Berlin Wall fell. Mm. I had already begun my major in political science and Russian. And this was incredible. I was taking international relations. My professor said, just don't even bother reading the textbook anymore. Just read the newspaper before you come to class. It was an amazing time. And I, I knew then, I have always known since then, that international relations, making the world a better place was what I wanted to do. My career, my path in the State Department was not the standard approach. I started out, after I finished college, Mm -hmm. I moved to Washington, D.C. because 
I had spent a semester here in college and I knew this was absolutely where I wanted to be. I came to get my master's in international politics and international relations at George Washington University. While I was there, I got an unpaid internship at the State Department and I had been dreaming of this for years. I was so excited for the opportunity. That turned into a paid part-time student assistant job while I was taking classes, but it was not enough for me. My, I was so much more interested in my work than I was in my classes. Mm. But I knew I needed to have a master's degree. It's a requirement in this field. I was putting my own money on the line for it. I got a job at US Agency for International Development. It was a full-time job, but it was a contract job, not a direct hire. This is a very important distinction in the mm -hmm. government. But for me, it was an opportunity to do more of what I wanted to be doing right then, full-time. Mm. It gave me the opportunity to move up and around much faster than the direct hire path, but with less prestige because it was a contract situation. Can I just I, ask a quick question about that? Yeah. How did you mm -hmm. know to do that? Was that just something that you had become aware of because when you were a an intern, an unpaid intern, you had now observed and seen different ways people were engaging within different with agencies in terms of employment? Yes, well, quite yeah. frankly, at that point, to me, the idea of needing a direct hire job that I was gonna stay at my entire life and retire with a pension and yeah. all of those things, I was, those were not on my mind. Right. Right, I knew about this option because I wanted a full-time job. And at the time, President Clinton had just come in and he put a hiring freeze on the whole government mm -hmm. when he came in. So when I told people I wanted a full-time job, they said, well, this is what we've got mm -hmm. to offer. Mm -hmm. And so I took it. Yep. And that was a little bit of a pivot, right? So maybe that wasn't necessarily your plan, but what was available to you? It's what was available. Yep. And it gave me so much opportunity because I was able to take a job that let me travel during my breaks in school, winter break, summer break, they sent me to Kazakhstan in Central Asia to wow. cover for people, which meant that when I finally graduated, I was working full time in the day, taking classes in the evenings, studying nights and weekends. Wow. And when I graduated, they gave me a job in Kazakhstan. So I was able to immediately move overseas and have a job in a place that I already knew and loved right when I finished. Okay, so when people say, because I grew up here in this area, and pe often people's parents, like my people, my parents work for the State Department, right? It's this like big, massive, like what does that really mean, right? And what does it really mean to work in foreign affairs? So can you just frame that a little bit more to, to talk about if you're working for the State Department, what's typically the mission and purpose and what are you doing? It, it, you know, maybe not every role is the same, but generally speaking, what are you doing when you work there? The role of the State Department is to pursue U.S. foreign policy goals in the name of the American people around the world. Okay. We are there to improve U.S. standing, U.S. business opportunities, U.S. alliances, so that we can achieve our goals in the world. Got it. I was doing throughout my career in various ways, foreign assistance. And I became, after 10 years of moving around the world and doing East Asia and the Pacific Central Asia and coming back here, after 10 years, I had a wonderful boss, Sheila Gwaltney, who did the big lift to bring me into the civil service. Throughout my career, in all of my different hats, I knew that I was making the world a better place in pursuit of U.S. foreign policy goals for the American people with the incredible resources of the U.S. government. Mm, okay. And through that, I got to work on incredible, amazing opportunities. Yeah. I worked on special immigrant visas to protect Afghan and Iraqi people 
who had risked their lives for our people, our soldiers, our embassy, our US agency for international development people. And now their lives were at risk because of what they had done for uh -huh. us. I was able to help bring them here. I got to work on refugee admissions at the height of the Syria crisis. After the, oh, North Korea, I worked on dismantling their nuclear reactor, which set back their ability to create new nuclear weapons. I worked on Burma during the, the Saffron Revolution and the cyclone after that. Wow. I was deputy coordinator for reconstruction and development of Haiti after the earthquake. I had so many opportunities to be where the action was. Mm -hmm. I was doing Central Asia on September 11, 2001, when it went from a backwater to the absolute center of the universe. Can we just talk one minute about the unpaid internship? Because I'm curious sure, how, yes. you, how you got that, because that's another thing that people uh, in a competitive market, you know, how, how did you, did you have a network? Did you have a relationship? How did you get that opportunity? Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. I got that the old-fashioned way. I applied for it. Really? Yes. <laughs> and this, the State Department has a formal program, they still do, to do internships, primarily for grad students, sometimes for college students. This is something you have to plan ahead for. It takes a long time. I applied in the fall of my first year of grad school for a summer internship. Okay. Because they have to go through the selection process and then the person needs to have a security clearance. Right, right. Which includes a person from diplomatic security going around and interviewing my associates, right. checking my background, visiting the places where I've lived. These things take a long time. Right. So right. everybody who wants this kind of career has to plan ahead. Right, right. And then in terms of these amazing opportunities and being able to work in some really interesting situations, but also it seems like in a different capacity, how did you maneuver and how did you, would you say, like within the construct of the federal government in terms of being promoted, how, how did you navigate that? And what are some of the things that helped you be successful there? I, I was so enthusiastic. It, <laughs> Yeah. To move up for me was being opportunistic. I needed to come into a job and I loved my job so that it was no problem whatsoever for me to give it my all. Yep. But then work in a job for two or three years and start looking around. How can I move up? How can I do something different and get more experience and opportunities for myself? So would you say is that combination, I agree, I, you know, it's funny that you started with you loved your job because I think that ultimately breeds energy and enthusiasm. And when you love what you do, people read that, they feel it, and you usually do good work because you love what you do. So that's kind of a nice mm -hmm. marrying of, you know, your performance typically is, is a sort of demonstrates how much you really love what you're doing. And then beyond that, in terms of there being opportunities so you would see an opportunity that was maybe a promotion or a next level up pursue that opportunity and then it's sort of step ladder in that way right what about being um in terms of so my whole corporate career is you know in the corporate space and mostly in professional services so that is its own animal in terms of how you navigate that as a as a woman i think we're roughly about the same age so Tell me, did you run into obstacles at all or, or what was it like trying to make that career and, and, you know, anything from a female leader perspective, any obstacles or anything that was a challenge during that time for you? State Department is a fabulous place for strong women leaders. Yeah. There are lots of women in high places throughout the State Department and U.S. Agency for International Development. I was fortunate 
in my career. I got to look up to Deputy Secretary Heather Higginbottom, who I was I worked for as a senior advisor, Nancy McEldowney, who is now National Security Advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. was someone I admired, and she was a great help to me when I was starting this public speaking business. She introduced me to a lot of people in the policy and think tank world. I looked up to Toria Newland, who is currently the Undersecretary for Policy. She taught me life lessons about the importance of projecting executive presence, what you Mm -hmm. said about how it's not enough to be really good at your job. Right. If you don't also project the image of a leader, project that energy that people are looking for. People are not going to recognize you as someone who should be moving up in the world. Even my first boss in my internship that we talked about, Carol Kessler, there was no reason for her to do this. She was up here, I was down here. She took me under her wing. She brought me around to meetings that she did not need to take me to. And I I did everything I could to make myself incredibly useful to her, to encourage her to keep doing this. I looked at her schedule, said, okay, this is what she's got coming up. I said, how can I help prepare you for this? And she's all, wow, you're thinking a week ahead. I can only think an hour ahead. I did all, I helped her prepare her talking points, got the papers together, checked in with the people organizing the meetings, everything I could to be an asset to her so she would continue to look after me. There's two things you've talked about that I feel like are so critical. The first, and you just ended with it, which is around anticipating needs and figuring out how you can be of value, especially when you're starting out and providing that lift to somebody. It's really like being able to make someone else's life easier. You know, we always talk about sort of the a casual way of, of stating it is if if you're making your bosses easier, you know, you're making your boss's job easier then you're probably mm-hmm. on your way. And so I've always tried to do that myself. It's anticipate needs, look ahead yeah. to what's going on and where you can make a difference and add value. So that's one thing I think is huge. And the other thing that you haven't said directly, but I'm interested in your opinion or, or how mm-hmm. you've done this throughout your career, because you've mentioned a lot of people, both mentors and people that you connected with that have helped you. So the relationship component and the network component, tell me about how you've, whether it's conscious or unconscious or intentional or not, you know, tell me a little bit about how you've networked and managed your relationships. Sure. The network is absolutely vital yeah because people want to hire someone they know is going to be the right Right. fit right it's very and as someone who's been the one getting hired and the one doing the hiring it's it is almost uncomfortable to hire someone and nobody you know knows them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you aren't can't be sure of what you're getting even you call up references okay well that's nice but they're not going to give you a reference who's going to say something bad Right. Not that there's bad that we're looking for, but I'm looking for great when I'm hiring. Yep. And so with my networking, part of it, the basis of it is doing great work. Right. Really being on top of my game lets people see what I have to offer. And then going to them when it's time to be looking for a new job. I, it was, thank you for raising this. (laughs) When I was at, U.S. Agency for International Development. I'd been doing South and Central Asia for a few years, and I was looking to move up and around. I contacted Carol Kessler, who had been the my boss at my internship, who looked after me, and I said, what do you have over there? And she said, oh, I know someone who is hiring. And this turned out to be Ambassador Bill Taylor. And I was... I wanted to ask, I wanted to talk to somebody in the office about the job. And she sent me to Bill. I'm like, oh, I can't, he's an ambassador. I can't, but so I called and I was like, hi, I'm Eileen Smith and Carol Kessler sent me to talk to you. And can you just tell me somebody in your office I can talk to? Right. And he said, well, you can talk to me. All right. Yeah. So because of that introduction, I was able to talk with him and interview and get the job. And I think just the idea of being 
proactive and you reaching out to, is it Carol you said? Yes. Uh, right. That, that, even that sometimes can be scary for people, right? Or, and the fact that then you're now have this opportunity to speak with the ambassador and, and that's another opportunity of like, well, geez, what, you know, he's not going to, what, what if I fail this moment, right? And so kind of pushing yourself out there and, and pushing yourself mm-hmm. in a way that maybe isn't entirely comfortable or like you could have probably stayed in some of your roles for extended periods of time and, and been, you know, mutually rewarded, right? Where that you stay in the role right. and, and, and yet if you have interest beyond that or you are proactive, you can make things happen, right? I think that's that's true in really any industry, I think. If, if you're thoughtful and helpful and you add value and then you're proactive. Yes, that's absolutely right. And a lot of that is personal. Some people are quite satisfied. Right. Right. To stay in one job and do good work where they are, and that's wonderful for them. I have always had a tremendous amount of energy and desire to do more and greater things and to influence the world. So that's, I took the approach of moving around every few years. I stayed in one office for five years and one for four. But in both of those, I moved up within that mm-hmm. organization. Where do you think that passion comes from to to make a difference, to have impact, to to do more? Where, where do you think that started? I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to work on the things that I love. Mm-hmm. In my whole career at State, the idea that I could see a problem and do something about mm-hmm. it was incredible. I went, there were a number of times when I was working on really difficult situations. I would go into disaster areas. I remember in particular, there was a an earthquake in Turkey in 1997, I think. And that, it wasn't even my job, this one. I was working on, a, on the Office of Transition Initiatives on countries that were having political transitions. But I had gone to a going away lunch for a colleague the day before this happened. And I ended up sitting next to the assistant administrator of the bureau. So we're chatting. Right. And then the next day, the earthquake hit Turkey and his staff were all already out. There were too many disasters around the world at the time. So he called up my boss and said, hey, can that woman who sat next to me at lunch yesterday come to Turkey? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. So then my boss is all, can you go to Turkey? I'm like, yeah, when? And he's all now. <laughs> oh, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I went and it was, it was an, it was a horrible disaster. People are talking about right now, this building that mm-hmm. collapsed in Miami, this, every building I saw was like that. Uh, and my sister said, how can you stand it? How can you right. go to these places? And I said, because I can help. Mm-hmm. I know that I have the resources and this has is what has driven me throughout all of this. One is knowing that I can make the world a better place. And the other is the excitement yeah. of being in the action when it's happening, of making the news, of constructing and shaping a situation. And then also just the thrill of knowing the news before it's in the news. <laughs> I- <laughs> what about your formative years? Is there anything that shaped you or pointed you in this direction like how how were you in high school and in college were you a really good student were you someone that was driven even then tell me a little bit about that in high school I was your average above average student Mm -hmm. I was good I was not the best Mm -hmm. and I was pursuing acting which probably was not the best fit for me so (laughs) okay it was fine yeah whatever this switch was that happened my senior year first i wanted to go i applied to colleges to do international business and japanese so definitely the international thing was part of you that was an interest and was that did you have parents or grandparents or any any other influence or that just oh that was just your own interest i did my parents took me to europe when i was 12 or 13 and that was interesting Mm -hmm. and my father was a scientist he would bring in international scientists for exchanges sometimes oh okay there was some there yeah Mm -hmm. okay and i this once i found this niche Mm -hmm. 
And as I said, the Berlin Wall came down and there were so many changes. I just, I never turned back. You know, I love that. And I just had this, I swear, I just had this conversation with my son the other day uh, who was telling me how much he doesn't like school. And I was telling him, I get it because I didn't really like school until I found the thing that I like to do. And when I connected to the material or when I connected to a professor, I said, just give it seven years because he's about to go into his freshman year. I was like, high school's high school. And maybe there might be some some classes you take in high school that you're going to be like, oh, I really like that. Um, and he's had some good experiences with some of his. He's very teacher. Like if he likes a teacher, he does well in the class. He's kind of it teacher makes dependent. Such a difference. I said, though, just give it time, because once you find the thing, and maybe it doesn't always happen for everybody in school. There's lots of ways you can find your thing. It's just once you do, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. Everything you're talking about in terms of, of mm-hmm. your career, you know, once you connect to it and you like it, it's like I think what's coming for me out of this conversation, it's like don't give up, right? Don't give up trying to find. And you and me, it seems like, both found a second thing that we love doing. And so it almost mm-hmm. feels greedy um, because I loved my career in human resources and I felt so connected to that work and it felt so much like I was meant to do that. Very similar reasons around helping people and creating opportunities for people and developing people and all those great things. And then this next kind of entrepreneurial piece in, in around soft skills development, I think it's like a second act that I am so blessed to be able to participate in. And so the fact that we've found two things if people are listening and they're struggling and they haven't found a thing or they feel like there isn't a thing, there is, it's just give it some time, right? Have hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and cre- keep trying new things. Right. It's amazing to me in this second career that I was able to take this one little piece right, from my previous career and turn it into a whole new business where now I'm coaching people yeah. in the top levels of large corporations in transportation and infrastructure and security media i coach top think tank people around the world i am a recognized expert contributing to business insider and fast company all of that from this one piece of coaching the deputy secretary and for me it's also a form of mentoring right for sure because my view of it is not just the public speaking it's your whole How are you pursuing your career? How are you projecting your executive presence? All the way to telling people, you're working from home. You need to be sure to make sure your boss knows what you're doing. Right. If you're just doing your job and everything is smooth, likely your boss is gonna forget about you because she or he are so busy doing all of their things. It's your job to promote yourself within your organization to your boss and also to people around your whole ecosystem and i love this part of it because i'm i'm helping people with their whole career right right tell me a little bit about the book so we had when we talked previous to this conversation you had mentioned you and i had one of these conversations where i was like oh my gosh i'm doing that and i'm doing it it's just i've never really talked to anybody where it's been that and i just hit three years in june for this business so it's just so the parallels continue but tell me a little bit about the process for your book and what that's been like and uh where you are with that and what it's about sure i don't know if you have a do you have your title yet uh, my my working title yeah, okay. is Power Your Public Speaking, okay. A Diplomat's Guide to Ooh. Preparation, Confidence, and Career Success. Ooh, I love it. Mm, it's good. Thank you. The book is for business executives, policy experts, and rising professionals. Mm-hmm. My premise is that public speaking, executive presence, and body language skills can improve the success of your organization's mission mm-hmm. and the trajectory of your career rising professionals and i think that's a good portion of your audience will want to keep this book in reach throughout the trajectory of their careers because it covers all different kinds of public speaking encounters Mm -hmm. managers will want their employees to read it so they can better represent the organization the first half of it is a comprehensive guide for what to do and we've talked some about the preparation Mm -hmm. what do you do from the beginning of preparing for a speaking event what are you going to say how are you going to wow 
all the way through a great delivery. Mm -hmm. And then the second half is specific chapters on steps to give a speech, a media interview, job interview, how to moderate a panel, do a video conference. And just in case, I've got a chapter in there on how to testify to Congress. Oh, that's a good one. That's great. It could come up. Yeah. So it's you never, know. you never know in these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's designed. You can sit down and read the first half anytime you want. Yeah. And then the second half, you got something coming up. You just have to read one chapter for whatever this event is and get a refresh on all of the steps that you need. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com. I just had an idea I'm thinking about as you've been coaching people that are delivering speeches and, you know, presenting. What are some of, I have two questions for you. What are some of the common mistakes you see people make? Uh, that's my first question. And then the second is what about the people that are terrified of speaking in front of others? And and that's a, a really common fear. And so I'm just curious about your perspective on those two things. Sure, absolutely. In terms of mistakes, there's the lack of preparation. Yeah. There's the, oh, I can get out there and wing it, just yeah. like you said. <laughs> yep. Learn the hard way. <laughs> and some, some people can, though. I think primarily this is these are people who have already talked about that topic in front of people so many times that they don't even realize that was their preparation. Sure. Those people are great. Sure. But then if you change the topic on them and change the audience on them, they also have to have to prepare. Mm -hmm. It's the preparation, the filler words, oh my goodness. And the in terms of the body language People need to consciously lift it all up, eyes up, head up, shoulders back. It's amazing how people want to do this. Mm -hmm. And you're just not projecting the same image. So the preparation, the content, what are you going to say that's tailoring the message to the audience? And how are you projecting yourself while you're doing it? Yeah. In terms of public speaking anxiety, there are different levels of this. Mm -hmm regular people anxiety this is completely normal it's it's interesting to think about projecting confidence simply because it is uncomfortable for an audience to watch someone who is outwardly nervous the audience is rooting for you to succeed because they want to see confidence i recommend for people who have regular levels of anxiety so preparation, practice, positive visualization. Instead of thinking, oh my goodness, it's gonna be terrible. I'm gonna trip when I'm walking up there. I'm gonna forget what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna lose my notes. I'm gonna, you know, all of the things that can spiral out of control. Think about how wonderful it can be, how good you're gonna feel when it's over, what a great impression you're gonna make. Yeah, and then, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna add one other thing to that because I think I have a friend who I would say is in this camp of it's moderate. It's not insane, right? So maybe you're getting there. One other thing, and it's helped me too, is that you are a vehicle to disseminate a message. So it's mm -hmm. really less yeah. about you and more about whatever it is that you're trying to talk about and deliver. And when you take the focus off yourself and you really make it about the content, it just alleviates pressure it helps your audience relax too and mm -hmm. you just yeah. are really more of a vessel and less than it's less about what do I look like what do I sound like why are people looking at me right it's 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 a mind shift but I found that really to be helpful too mm -hmm. yep that can definitely be helpful and you're going to talk about piece. maybe high high anxiety yes yes and even for okay. medium anxiety yep. breathing ah uh, yeah particularly helpful one is if you're getting worked up ahead of time, just take a few moments to do slow breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. And even if during a speaking event, you feel like you're, you're starting to get breathy, you don't have enough oxygen, your blood 
pulse is racing and you're starting to sweat and all of these things are spiraling out of control, I recommend that people pause and take one or two deep breaths. It's centering, it's calming. You're not going to improve your performance by continuing to deprive yourself of oxygen. <laughs> right. <laughs> oxygen is, is key. It's key. Yes. Yep. It can look like a thoughtful pause, even if it doesn't, even if it looks like you're breathing, that looks better than letting your symptoms spiral out of control. Yep. And then for people who have higher levels of anxiety, there is therapy for that. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. There are even medicines people can take, beta blockers, if it's really a problem. I feel for most cases, the vast majority, the preparation and the practice will get you to where you need to be to be able to do a good presentation. And the more you do it. So keep, yes. you know, keep doing it. Keep putting yourself out there. You might, you know, if you're someone that dreads it, you might never fully embrace or seek out opportunities. But the more you do it, the more you're going to feel. Think about driving a car, right? Or, or if you, you know, when you first started driving and, and maybe you were nervous doing that and, and now you do it without even thinking about it. So mm-hmm. I feel like yes. speaking and presenting and, you know, I don't know if you agree about this, but that's why I feel like use a meeting use these where you don't have high stakes opportunities but you still are practicing these skills so that when the moment comes you're ready and it doesn't feel like such a big leap uh that's another reason i think to show up and and treat each moment like it is that moment yes absolutely and for what you're saying you can use your staff meeting right probably every week you're going to a staff meeting and there's an expectation you're going to say something yep for sure. So take that as your public speaking chance for the minute or two minutes. Yep. Start at the big picture of what you're trying to accomplish before you talk about what your daily goals are before you're talking about even an update, right? Yeah. If you're copying giving, or yeah. whatever it is. Yes. But start with the big picture. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a time when I was working on Burma and I had a practice ever since I saw my boss, Ambassador Carlos Pasquale, do this. We were coming back from a trip and he spent the whole airplane ride writing up his findings to send this very thoughtful, meaningful note to everybody who was involved. Ever since I saw that, I used my trip home, my flight home, to write up my findings, recommendations, and next steps. I did this on my way home from Burma. I spent hours on it. I send it off. At our next staff meeting, probably 60 people in the room, and the big boss says, Eileen, when it gets to you, please tell us about your trip. And I thought, well, now why is he doing that? He's got my email. Why? I don't even understand why he's asking me this question. And when it came to my turn, I gave the shortest possible synopsis of my email that I could because I just didn't even understand. Whereas now looking back, well, oh my goodness, he was impressed with your work. He was giving you an opportunity mm-hmm. to shine in front of all of these people and also trying to make an example of you for other people to see how they could do their trips and their follow-up after the trip. Right, right. It's easy for me to see that now. At the time, I was like, oh, why is he asking me to repeat myself? <laughs> right, right. That follow-up being able to summarize and synthesize information, being able to say, I was in this meeting, here are the notes that I took, here's what you're supposed to do, here's what I'm supposed to do. Like that is such Mm -hmm. an underrated skill. I feel like it's so helpful and not a lot of people have it for sure. Um, Yes, and if if someone's coming up in their career, their boss is at the table at the meeting there in the back, that person can be so helpful by writing up the notes and the next steps and then sending them to your boss and not the he said she said every little step of it but a summary here's a summary of the meeting and here's what you need to do next and here's what i can do to help you send that to your boss afterwards can make you invaluable yeah for sure for sure there was one other thing i was going to ask you there's oh there's two things one i think um sleep so getting enough sleep beforehand and then the other thing um is when you say the practicing, I also think either recording yourself, audio or both audio and visual. I mean, visual is great, but sometimes you don't have that. And so even if you're in the car, I used to do a lot of my practicing in the car on the way 
to events or on the way home or, you know, that was the only time I have three kids. I was never alone. You're never, you know, so you just do it when you can. And so Mm -hmm. audibly I would have my talking track and I would record it on my phone and then listen to it back. And boy, that is powerful to, to hear yourself and, and shocking. And it gives you an opportunity to improve some of those things, you know, before the next time for sure. Yes, absolutely. And I hear what you are saying throughout I, I've been talking about how fabulous my career was and how hard I worked but in the meantime I met my husband and got married and had two kids and raised them and th- this was hard to do right right so I completely hear you on the trying to find time I practiced driving a car practice on the treadmill loading the dishwasher <laughs> yeah it's whenever you can I could find a spot yeah absolutely yes. And the recording is invaluable. I know, it is. I remember one time I I was speaking at an international organization. And I recorded myself while I was speaking because I was terribly curious about these things. I hadn't practiced out loud and recorded that, but I recorded while I was speaking. And I had prepared remarks, but I was trying to draw in from what other people had said in the meeting. And when I listened to it, I thought, wow, I was so smooth on the prepared remarks. And then when I was pulling in new information, that's where the ums came out. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right to record ourselves. Audio is great. Video is even better if you have the time. Even one round can point out Mm -hmm. errors that we can fix before going in front of people. And, and to be brave enough to watch it and not, you know, you have to watch it with, with a kind voice. Nobody's good at this stuff. And so I think you could easily watch that and crumble and say, I'm never doing it again versus what can I learn from it? It's, it, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm still learning. You know, that kind voice is so important because it's, it's really hard. It's, it's hard to see yourself when... It's something you're not always doing, you know, and if you're already uncomfortable with it to begin with. Yes, absolutely. And even me now, and I've clearly done a whole lot of this, I, the sound of my voice just does not sound right to me. Every time I hear it is shocking. I don't sound like that. And then the part that you raised about being kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I know that I am my worst critic. Probably a lot of people. And most likely, most people wouldn't let someone else talk to them right. as badly as they for talk sure. to themselves. For sure. But I'm the one I spend the most time with. <laughs> so yep. I should turn that around and be encouraging and be nice yeah. and kind and remind myself. And I, I tell people, have a pep rally for yourself. Mm-hmm. This is a, a song, a fight song from your alma mater, a poem. What is it that you can do to really pump yourself up and say positive things? Yep. Yep. I liked I sing the Rocky theme song to myself <laughs> in my it. head. I, love I it. imagine a parade and people are calling my name and cheering for me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love that. <laughs> I started that when I was getting ready to walk into my comprehensive exams in grad school. That's great. Like, I need to pump myself up here. <laughs> That's fantastic. I recommend everybody think about what you can do to give yourself all the positive feedback and energy that you need going into an event. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so two more questions. The first is around soft skills. We've talked a lot about speaking and presenting, so I'm going to hopefully put you a little bit in a corner and ask you to tell me about another soft skill that you think is critical. And when I talk about those skills, I'm really talking about influence, collaboration, communication, you you know, some of those non-hard or technical skills. Are there other soft skills that you think are important, you know, whether in your career or even now as an entrepreneur? What do you think uh, are some of those really important skills that people need to be developing? Executive presence Mm -hmm. is probably the most important one. Okay, that's great. Tell me why. That is projecting the image of a leader as we've mentioned, talking mm-hmm. at the big picture level, projecting energy, enthusiasm for what you do. Because it's not enough to be good at your job. You have to also use executive presence to move up in the world. 
that comes all the way to your communication skills, the way you talk and your appearance. Decide what image you want to project and make sure that all of you, your clothes, grooming and body language are all in line with the image that you want to project, which is I'm assuming because people are listening to this podcast that people are trying to show the image of a leader and move up in the world. Yeah, I think I think for sure it's um, that executive presence, I think, translates to confidence. And I think confidence is one of those intangibles that people might write off as either you have it or you don't. You know, you're born with it or you're not. You're you're inherently good at something and so you're confident. And so for those that I think struggle with that, you know, the confidence comes from trying things and doing it over and over and through the messing up and the failing and, and getting better. And so I feel like that confidence then, once you start to cultivate it by putting yourself in these situations, that also breeds to a stronger and a, a, a more refined executive presence. Yes. I would also add, especially when moving up in a career, mm-hmm. to focus on strategic goals, leadership goals, and career goals. Mm -hmm. I would recommend putting a recurring appointment on your calendar for one hour a month, just to sit back and say, am I meeting these three types of goals? Am I meeting the organizational goals for where I work? Am I meeting my own leadership and management goals for the people around me and my career goals? Mm -hmm. This is where you get to not staying in the same job for too long. Right. Because you step back and think about it. And sometimes you're not gonna find the answers in your own leadership structure. Sometimes you have to go somewhere else to find these answers. I feel like in so many jobs, I just put my head down and I plowed through and worked so hard and felt like I needed to know all the details and be on top of everything. But I recommend taking that step back, taking the time to think about what can I delegate, who else can lead on this, all in order to improve your performance and your career trajectory. I love that, that's such great counsel. So as we conclude, I I often like to ask people about uh, their younger self. And as you're thinking about um, young Eileen and you're thinking about any counsel or advice that might help her navigate life a little bit easier that might make the the transitions or the pivots a little you know less harsh what what advice would you give her one thing i would say is i had a lot of well maybe it's doubt about how things are going to work out Mm -hmm. If I could have turned that around to an expectation of success, then probably would have been a little easier to navigate transitions. I would also say on a more concrete level to take credit for yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so many times I just assumed that everyone around me knew how hard I was working and what I was doing. And I don't even need to take up that person's time telling them what I've done because they're so busy and they know but I really recommend taking the time to promote yourself, to take credit for yourself, not just to your boss, but to your boss's boss and to other people in your ecosystem who can be the ones looking out for, if they're looking to hire someone say, oh, she's good, she's doing a great job and I know that, as opposed to me assuming that everybody knows what I'm doing. I love that. I love that. I think that's so important. And I love the idea of, of you don't have to know everything. It doesn't have to be all figured out. And that anxiety of, of not knowing can also be adrenaline for what could be. And to your point around, you know, looking ahead with excitement uh, in, in, in versus that anxiety and stress. I love that. I think that's great counsel. Well, I thank Excellent. you so much for your time. This was such a great discussion. I loved all your examples of the different really cool things you did in your career, but also <laughs> such great advice on the speaking front and presenting and executive presence. I feel like, you know, we 
we, we really got a master class and looking forward to your book we'll ha- we'll talk again we you know we'll definitely have you on again once the book's out and we can Thank talk you. a little bit more detail about that but I really appreciate your time and for being on relatable Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm thrilled to share with your listeners the importance of public speaking, executive presence, and body language at every engagement opportunity. Thanks so much, Eileen. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. What a joy to have you on the podcast. Loved hearing about your experience in the field of international relations and foreign service, and especially liked your tips on public speaking, body language, and executive presence. I wish you the best at Spokesmith and can't wait to talk to you again, maybe in a year or so, and hear how things are going. Thank you, Missy, for producing this episode, and thank you to our wonderful, relatable community and listeners. We're so thankful for your support and listenership. If you get a moment, please subscribe to the Relatable Podcast, rate us, and leave comments. We can be found on your favorite listening platform. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.